Okay, well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Tuesday's podcast. We're recording Monday afternoon. There's always a bit of controversy about that. It's almost live. Um, but we're, Tuesday podcast is where we talk about the last Sunday sermon. We invite the speaker to come and elaborate a bit more, and then we give them a real right grilling as well. So we can um, just go around that subject. But as we start, um, I'd like to acknowledge and pay our respect to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. And we also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care for country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. Um, with us today, we've got Chris from up in Collinsvale. Chris, I'm, I'm, I, it's in the picture. I've got to say it. I love your diesel heater up there. You're living off grid a bit and uh, it's nice to see it. Is it working well? It is, thanks. Yes, it's pulled me out of the freezies a few times. Yeah, it was pretty cold last night, so I hope it's working all right. And uh, we, we've got Anne all the way over in—is it Cambridge? Do I say? Uh, yeah, yep, that'll do. <laughs> cool. And then Matt and I are in the opposite citywide. So, hi, Matt. Hey, Mike. Matt gave us the sermon. We're talking for about four weeks on end time stuff. Matthew chapter twenty-four, I think, and twenty-five as well. And uh, pretty interesting passages. Uh, for us to look through. Um, yeah, so I thought maybe let's start with reading the passage that we went through this last Sunday first, and then Matt will let you kick off with, with where you want to start. Thanks, Anne. Okay, okay, thank you. So it's Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 14. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? Things he asked, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Thanks, Anne. All right, Matt, where do you want to start today? Uh, <laughs> I, I have been avoiding talking about the end times since I've been a citywide. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, largely, I think largely because, and this is part of why I'm pleased to have Chris here, I, I also was formed in the 80s and 90s uh, 
and uh, was part of a youth group culture at a time where people were re- reading a lot of Frank Peretti and This Present Darkness and all that sort of stuff and, and, and getting right into it. And, and there was, it was just assumed uh, that uh, the end time, it, that it, everybody had a clear picture of what the end times would be. Uh, and, and, and there was, a, 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 certainly for me, uh, a feeling of fear uh, associated with the end times, uh, and and that was a it was a kind of and uh, and it was interesting talking to when I started talking about this and talking with Leanne about it, uh, my wife, uh, she said she actually became a Christian after watching this movie, The Thief in the Night, because she was so scared about le- being left behind, uh, and so there's this funny fear based thing associated with the end times that I actually think is dangerous. And, and one of the things that, um, one of the funny theologies that sort of emerged uh, from that way of thinking uh, is that people think that when Jesus is going to come back, but he's not going to be strong enough to defeat evil for a little bit. Uh, and so evil's going to fight back. And, also, and it's kind of like the son of, the son of God is not going to be strong enough to deal with something like so either he's god or he's not uh and if if he's going to come back like everything else the bible says says death was death and evil were defeated on the cross there's not some big it's not something him coming back isn't something to be scared about uh and 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 i think it was really helpful for me this is all background stuff before we even start talking about what we're talking about uh really helpful for me uh to understand that what we understand, what we understood through the 80s and 90s of what the end times would be, uh, were, were actually deeply influenced uh, by a man by the name of John Nelson Darby, uh, who was the founder of a big chunk of the Brethren movement. Uh, and from him and his teaching came the Schofield Reference Bible. I don't know if you've come across the Schofield Reference Bible before. Mm-hmm. But there was a generation who were profoundly shaped. In fact, I think, here we go. Hang on, I'm just going to dig over here. I still have the copy. Here is the Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, And this was a study Bible, and it had all these notes uh, associated with it that people didn't understand were notes by Schofield, and they couldn't separate between them and the actual Bible, and they taught a particular vision of the the end times that Tim LaHaye would go on and make a lot of money from uh, with the Left Behind series and Frank Peretti. And, and this particular understanding of the end times uh, is a comparatively recent invention of the Christian church. It was a comparative... Uh, the turn of the 19th the 20th century was where that particular understanding of the end times came from. And so uh, what I knew as I was getting up to talk that uh, there will be a mixture of people. Some people have just come to faith and have none of this history uh, at all. But there'll be a bunch of people like me who've grown up in the church and, and for whom the Schofield Reference Bible isn't a new thing that's like my aunt was given it for her Sunday school graduation. It was the standard reference text for many people for many, many years and who were deeply shaped by that way of thinking. 
and and who did who don't question their understanding of the end times. And so, uh, as we dive into Jesus' teaching, I, I knew that there's a whole lot of context we need to give, and we need to work out what is the Bible actually saying, and and what is the the context of what it's saying, and what is it not saying, uh, and watch coming to it with a whole lot of prejudices. So, so I feel like that's the the task uh, as we, we we do this. What it feels like a, a deep dive into the Bible, uh, and it's kind of these two chapters we're dealing with. I think the chapter I'll be dealing with chapter twenty four, and then Anne and Dan and and John will be dealing with the parables that sort of are the outworking of it in chapter. Uh, 25 so so that's that's all the background yeah yeah great so before we go on um the the story of left behind i mean the title just in itself is is left behind which invokes fear right from the start what images can you guys remember from this story what are some of the subplots or there there was a we were following a bunch of characters through this story what happened just so we've got a bit of a picture for those who haven't heard of it do you remember any of it guys I remember, I don't know if it was Keith Green or I can't think now, but um, I wish we'd all been ready. A man mm, and wife yeah. sleep in bed. He, yeah. hears, uh, he hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all yeah. been ready. I mean, so we, we had a lot of influences coming in from many different places yeah. that all seemed to confirm the same, the same picture. Yeah, I agree with that one, Chris. For me, like... Um, I don't know if I actually watched Left Behind as the series, but, the yeah, I, I was kind of around and heard a lot of that stuff about the end times and revelation and all of that. And at the end of the day, my thought was, well, what's really important here? And isn't it about living now in the present as if it doesn't matter when um, I'm ready, no matter what, we'll, however yeah. it looks and whenever it is so but um yeah at keith at keith green and with that song yes it was sort of what came to my mind then and there, was well. a, there was a story of a pastor who got left behind who had lost his first love and something so there was a oh. story of, there was a couple of pilots in a big jumbo jet and both of oh. them just disappeared <laughs> went to heaven or something and um, <laughs> this big plane came crashing to earth with all its passengers that weren't part of the rapture so there's a couple of images I remember from my, what, 13-year-old viewpoint. Yeah. yeah, pretty dramatic. And it's interesting because um, my, my family, my, my dad had a whole collection of Darby's books on the bookshelf. That was his main reading. He was actually the um, Bible prophecy teacher for the AOG church in Victoria during this time. So he would tour all around Vic teaching teaching this stuff. So it's it's pretty interesting the millennial reign and and the antichrist and all this stuff so all of a sudden matt one point you brought out right at the start which i think is right is is there's we've got the bible and we can look at what jesus and the early writers said but then we've also got fiction that other people have written and and we would probably call it spiritual science fiction where people are taking these ideas and actually inventing stories and narratives around it I'm, I'm sure from their perspective they're trying to elaborate and actually, you know, not just make millions of bucks but actually try and really get a message across. Like Keith Green would be one of those, I would say. He would have really been wanting to get the message across heartfelt. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think they all saw themselves as supportive of how they understood Scripture. 
And mm. so we, we who were listening would go, okay, as far as I can remember my Bible, that, that accords with what I've read. So, yeah, I need to be very careful how I'm walking, you know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I'm even going to get into it yet, but the, even the idea of the rapture is based on an understanding of a Greek word that uh, is interesting and there's a whole, and it's a fairly new and novel idea too in the Christian church. So, so much of this stuff was, came, this fellow called Darby came up with, a guy that most of us have never heard of, and then were deeply shaped by this jolly Schofield reference ball. By the way, if anyone's got one of these, they're great for history, but please don't trust it for your theology. Um, and 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 I I and it was it was deeply shaping stuff. And I, I think we as Christians, like Carl Barth says, you've got to read your newspaper and read the Bible, but uh, interpret the newspaper from the context of the Bible. But I also think we need to read the cultural history of the church and understand what are the forces that shape the church. So we need to read. We need to understand our society's culture. We need to understand the culture of the church. And this is one of those areas where there's been huge cultural forces that have shaped those of us particularly who were in youth groups or around the church in the in the 80s and 90s. Maybe and maybe in the 90s that the, the the big cultural forces were probably more the the purity culture stuff, um, which was a, it was more to do with sexual stuff. But in the 80s, it was more to do with end times, you know, that kind of... I think that might be true to say. Sorry, we were also hearing a lot about backmasking and how the devil was getting into yeah. our brains through backmasking. So, yeah, there was, there was a lot of reason. And again, from people we respected. You know, I mean, mega leaders mm. out there were talking about it, not not the way out Boyle had it. I'd mm. forgotten about that. Uh, one of the Queen albums, apparently. Um, <laughs> I mean, even, even if you have no history, you read through this passage and there are a few phrases that can stand out. It, it, Jesus says in this bit, um, all this stuff will happen and this is not the end. And, and for a lot of people, they're like, what, the end? Don't panic. You know? so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the thought of the end of the world, which whether you're Christian or anything, is pretty prominent in our minds, in, in our storytelling. Um, and plays to fears. So, so this is an interesting topic for mm. anyone, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah, Matt, you start so. talking. Oh, sorry. You, you start talking about the temple and the significance of the temple. Do you want to take us down that path in this passage? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think again. I mean, this is still just verse one of this chapter, but, but I, it's also the whole Bible. It's the story of the whole Bible, uh, and I don't. I think one of the mistakes through the 80s, 90s was we tended to look for verses and base our theology on verses rather than the context of the whole Bible. Uh, and it's, uh, I, don't, I, I, said in, I said on Sunday, uh, it's not possible to overstate the significance of the temple for Jewish people, uh, and which is, it's important for us to understand it. The temple, because uh, we don't really have a point of reference. We think temple, I guess that's like church. I guess it's like, but it's not, it's this massive part. Like it's an incredible archaeological, like incredible, not archaeological, but uh, architectural place. Like mm -hmm. it looked incredible. But it was from the story, the story of the Bible where it fits in 
is Genesis 1 and 2. God wants to have, God, God lives in relationship with people. Genesis 3, we decide that we want to go our own way. And, and, but God still has this heart. He wants to dwell with people. And, and he actually sets aside people for his name as part of the, uh, and he says, I want a place for my name to dwell. And one of the things I pointed out, and I'd love to do more work unpacking this because I think this is a, a key a key part of the Bible we often miss. Uh, the, the part of the Old Testament most quoted by the Old Testament is Exodus 34, where God reveals his nature, which is also his name. And he, Exodus 34, God's glory passes in front of Moses and says, he reveals his name and he says, it is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in, uh, I forget exactly, but, but basically you see God's uh, mercy and his compassion, this beautiful side. But you also see this, this awkward part that we don't like to talk about where he says, I will not leave the guilty unpunished, but it will punish the you know, people of the third and fourth generation. And both of those things, the beautiful mercy and compassion and the scary justice, are both part of who God is. And that's his revelation of his glory or his name. And he's looking for a place for this glory, this name to dwell. And that becomes the initially the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, and and, it, and the, the temple, from a Jewish perspective is this place where God dwells, the intersection between heaven and earth. Um, and one of the things that many people have read their Bibles for a while realized that there was a time where uh, uh, Babylon comes and this sad time as uh, the, the temple is destroyed and, and uh, Daniel and his mates are led off to, to Babylon and after that, the Persians, the, the Medes and the Persians come and beat Babylon and and uh, and release the people to go back. And then we have the story of Nehemiah and Haggai and those guys kind of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem. Um, but before uh, Babylon comes, Ezekiel has this vision of the glory of God, that place where God dwells that his presence leaving the temple. Uh, and this is really sad picture in Ezekiel of the, the glory lifting and going out. Uh, but Ichabod. you never, although, pardon? Ichabod. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, and uh, and the, uh, this, they, they, they rebuild a temple and, Apparently, it's a smaller one and not as exciting. Uh, and so people get upset and whatever. And then down the track, Herod uh, get, wipes out that little one they, they built and, and builds a, a, an incredible one that mm. is like the size of I don't know, 24 soccer stadiums. Like, oh, there we go. This is the, a, bit of a, a bit of a picture, but hard to describe the scale of that. I, I think from memory it was like thirty meters high. Like I might, I might be wrong on that, but it's, it's like it's it's MCG kind of territory. That's a kind of like it, you get you get. So for those who are listening, you've got no idea what's going on. We've got some pictures of the 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 temple coming up, 
Well, this but it's really was important. notoriously egotistical, and he was actually competing, trying to create a temple that was bigger than Aphrodite and the Acropolis in Greece. So if you if you can picture those temples, he's actually trying to create something that's better than those, that's more brilliant than those. So this this is Herod's pride and joy through his reign of creating this. It took 47 years to create, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, we, we put um, in John, we actually get the um, where... Jesus says, "I'm going to tear it down," and it says, uh, "They say 46 years to build it." And 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 the important thing from a, a understanding the whole story of the Bible perspective is you've got this incredible building that the disciples are pointing out, but there is no record of God's glory ever coming back to this temple. Hmm. What, what do you mean by that, Matt? Uh, well, in the in the as we said, the, the glory of God is his presence. It's his name. It's who he is. It's his nature. And and in the the Old Testament, where God led the people out of Egypt, there, that glory was represented by a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. But it actually becomes, we see in Numbers, that uh, his, his glory kind of sits on the... The Ark of the Covenant, which is right at the center of the the temple, there in the, the Holy of Holies, and just on the the um, on the on the top of that is where Moses would would hear God speaking, and so it was this place where you would go and interact. Moses would go and interact with God. The people of Israel would come and interact with God, and when Solomon dedicated the temple, it filled with a cloud, and there's this this felt experience. Of the of the presence of God descending on the temple, uh, and that never happened with the second temple, and mm-hmm. so the the Jewish people continued to feel in exile from God, because and they were waiting for the glory to return. They were mm-hmm. also waiting for a Messiah to come and save them. It never occurred to them that those two things would be the same thing, but in John. He does. John gives us incredible um, little text. John one fourteen, uh, as he John introduces Jesus. The other uh, gospels tell the story of Jesus being born or whatever. John goes straight to the theology, uh, and in John one fourteen, he says, "The Word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us." He's, and the the word there for dwelling is the literally the word tabernacle. It's, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so you see this if glory is God's justice and mercy and compassion. It's his grace and his truth. And, and, and there's this remarkable moment as Jesus comes to the temple. The glory of God is returning to the temple in the form of a Jewish man, and this is not what people were expecting. Uh, it is, and, and Jesus is the representation of God's glory on earth. He is the, the intersection. He becomes the intersection between heaven and earth. And he, he tells them, this is why it's so offensive for the, for the Jewish people. He, he says, tear down this temple and I'll build it again in three days. And he's talking about himself. He's saying he is the temple. Uh, and and he, he tells the Pharisees, don't you realise something greater than the temple is here? 
And interestingly yeah. enough, when he was crucified, that's what they mocked him with. Now you said you could build that temple, rebuild it, you know, and here you are. What are you yeah. going to do about it? Yeah. And 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 what we are told in, in I think it's two or three of the Gospels, is at, his, at the moment of death, the curtain separates between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Mm. So, and, and, from the, and the bottom. Curtain, what, what was that? Oh, from, the bottom. from the top to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. And mm. they're kind of mm. saying, okay, they, the barrier's gone. The barrier's gone. And, and, and what Jesus is doing here, and this is why this is Matthew 24, is so... And what he's saying, all these different things, it's it's he's pronouncing judgment on the temple. And, mm -hmm. and he's saying this temple is going to be destroyed. This temple that you're all so fond of, this isn't the main game. I am the main game. And then the scary bit is he he then uh, sends his Holy Spirit and he actually prays for us. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Uh, that they might be one father as you and I are one so that the world may know and so that you sent me and and so we we then as followers of Jesus become the 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 point of intersection between heaven and earth it's, it's kind of our become mm -hmm. ambassadors of this kingdom and uh, I I felt a bit of tension on Sunday because all, all that I've just said, there's a whole lot in and behind everything I've just said, and I could talk for another uh, 50 minutes on any one of those verses. And, and but, but it is this is the story of the whole Bible, and the, that this whole thing of God dwelling with people. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we're now in this phase where the church is meant to be the representation for the for the world, but we're going to get to the, the end of the, the book. The, the book, the, the Bible starts with the first two chapters. Uh, where God dwells with people, and it ends with the last two chapters in Revelation, where there is a new heavens and a new earth, and we don't need a sun because Jesus Himself is the sun. Jesus, we all get to hang out with God all the time, and it's this, this is the the, the f amazing future we're looking forward to. But it is a, uh, I, I I think that often people who got into the Left Behind series and stuff missed this bigger context and, and there was a lot being placed on single verses uh, in Revelation or uh, there's a little bit in Thessalonians and other places where people lean in heavily uh, but miss this incredible context and understand pr the profound nature of what Jesus is saying about mm -hmm. the temple and I'll, I'll shut up at that point because I feel like I've just been talking for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. I know there's a lot of that. What a rant. There, which some people don't draw immediately, you you mentioned on Sunday how glory in that context is is translated weight is actually weight mm. heaviness mass in, in a very almost physical sense, and of course we remember in the in the Temple of Ezekiel, people were they were just flattened, they could not remain standing, and if you also just had that little picture of the Mount of Transfiguration where he only had his his three mm. closest again. Their eyes were heavy with sleep. That wasn't sleep. That was again being overwhelmed by that little little bit of glory. So there are there are little flashes of it in there. Mm. 
I really like the imagery of in the, in the first tabernacle, the, the pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, and then, like you say, at the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah turn up, and that you see this radiant glory again. But the, the bit at Pentecost that, that I get most excited about with this image is that we, um, the Holy Spirit comes like a wind, but then everyone has these little tongues of fire above their head. Now, I would call that a pillar of fire. And so here, here's the people with a, you know, a miniature pillar of fire, a tongue of fire above their head, which signifies the presence of God in that temple, in that tabernacle. Yeah. And, and it's such a beautiful illustration of, well, the physical tabernacle of Herod is not where God resides. That, yeah. that's, that's now been, you know, we don't need that anymore because Jesus has made the way for us to be reconciled to God. And so now we yeah. are the temple of God. And that, that's where you went at the end of your sermon. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there's a, another, I like the interaction too, um, that John records between the Samaritan woman and Jesus and they're talking and there's different cultures involved and, and the Samaritan woman says, well, you know, we worship you know, on this mountain and you worship in Jerusalem. And and so there's an awareness of, of the differences. And then Jesus says, you know, ah, well, yet there is a time coming and has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. And so it's this, yeah, it's actually saying, well, that, that that need for the physicality of a building or, or whatever, it, I'm here and, and and I'm sending the spirit and you will worship in spirit and in truth um, and that will be enough. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think I, what I love is in hearing you all talk is as you get onto this, you start to see different bits of the Bible differently. Like you, all of a sudden there's a weight to the whole Bible, the whole story of the Bible. And I, I feel sad that there's there's branches of Christianity still that get stuck up in the minutia uh, in, a, in a way that I, I think misses, misses the point. And so there are farmers in America trying to grow red heifers uh, so that they can be sacrificed at a, at a new temple uh, because that's what that's what's needed in order to bring Jesus back, and so like people who have taken the Bible out of all kinds of contexts and 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 still think that we need a temple for restoration, or there's a whole lot there's a whole lot of layers to this, and I I can't really get into. We'll see how we go, but um, I I I I worry a bit about people who who like talking about the end times too much because they often seem to me to be people who aren't as excited about justice and mercy and compassion more generally. They, they tend to be more into the abstraction of faith rather than the, than the bringing Jesus' nature into time and space now. So that's probably another broader thing, and I'll probably back off at that mm. point. Yeah, that's so, the whole arcane knowledge thing too, you know, along with uh, British Israelism. That was big in the 80s as well. Oh, you know? yeah. um, and, and we are, you know, we could, we could go through all of that. Um, so so there's, there's this sense, I think, particularly then, but even now uh, around Pentecost time, you have churches all over the world holding tarrying meetings because we're going to bring a real Pentecost because 
we're doing exactly what they did then, you know, like like a magic a magic wand kind of just just get the words right and it'll happen. And mm-hmm. and it's that that microcosm thinking that you're talking about there. Mm-hmm. And while while Anne was talking, I was also thinking about um, you know, I'm not I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just speak the word and my servant will be healed. So there mm-hmm. again is that that fellowship, that that mm-hmm. glory, power, all of that, exousia, going going out beyond the physical confines of the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. In in verse four it says, and Chris and Anna, I might throw to you first on this one. It says, Jesus answered, "Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, and will deceive many." Like, are you guys aware of many of these deceptions or these sort of things? I don't know. Anne, have you, do you know what I <laughs> I think there's a lot of potential for for the latching onto things, and, and some of that's already been talked about. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I wasn't. I guess when, during the eighties, I was just flat chat looking after kiddies. But um, some of it was. I was in in the seventies and in the youth groups, of the seventies. So it was this revelation and all of that kind of stuff was. Oh, it was there. It was being talked about. Mm-hmm. And as I said, um, for me, I thought, well, I can get confused by the details because some of it's really quite, um, you know, already. You know, <laughs> it's all a bit. Um, obtuse, I guess, and uh, for my way of thinking. But um, and then I'm thinking, well, at the end of the day, what's really important here? Um, you know, is it is it that I take Jesus's words and take them seriously, and and live a lifestyle that he lived by and caused me to live by and in that sense um i'm ready for whatever whenever whatever and whether that is um my death occurring before whatever this looks like or whether i'm here whenever it comes whatever it looks like at the end of the day is jesus the way the truth and the life for yeah. me. But you're an elder. You're an elder. All elders think like that. I mean, that's... Do they? That's, 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 yeah, of course. Yeah, along, along with you. But, but I can <laughs> see how easy... And I, I can be just as easily... You know, you pick up on certain things and and that that change that's what what shapes and filters what you see and hear and, um, and yeah. you know, easy, yeah. easy to get a bit um sidetracked i guess yeah, it is it is yeah but, but again i mean I, I was saying to matt um on the telephone if we're going to try and take away fears and and poor teachings that may have fed those fears and have even become subconscious like a almost a foundation to where people are standing today mm-hmm. us oldies anyway um, you're, you're, or you young bucks who don't know you're alive. Um, you've got to you've got to name those up. It's almost like talking yes. to you know talking to a classroom. And I have a couple of friends who are just incredibly good teachers, and they know that it's not a waste of a lesson to sit everyone else down and say, okay, we've been hearing this on the news. A lot of us are going to be feeling X, Y, Z, and and I'm here to tell you we're going to be okay. Um, okay. And so they're. You know your your Peretti stuff. Yeah, it was fiction. I never I never thought it wasn't. 
Um, yeah. I, as I said to Matt recently, I, I, I saw it as a fictionalized account of spiritual reality of the, of the war between, you know, Ephesians, six demons and all the, the whole thing. And, and so it was, it was bringing us up to speed very helpfully with knowing what the other side of it was and how we needed to support the angels fighting, you know, all that, all that stuff. So if you if, if there's if there's fear that's been sown in there, which there was because there was you know it was coming out of the '60s, and apart from Keith Green, it was it was the hippie era, you know it was it was the Jesus people, and that yeah. was all love and peace. So again, you're talking about context, Matt. The context of the '70s and '80s comes out of the '60s, and the she'll be right, Jesus loves me, end of yeah. story, and yeah. so the the pendulum swung towards. Okay, let's get a bit serious here. Jesus was also a judge. Look at him in in Revelation yeah. one. I think it is with the sash of the judge. He's not being a nice little lamb there, you know. Yeah. He he he's to judge the wicked, you know. And so we that was the pendulum that we went through in that decade, decade and a half. And so anyone from there who's been influenced by that need to have those named up and actualized in the gospel you want to preach today. That would be my take. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, in that conversation with Chris, I, I was saying, I, my concern is that when Bill Bright codified the four spiritual laws, which, for those listening, if you've never heard of that, don't worry about it. Um, but, but for for many others, th- that picture is the the picture of that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the four spiritual laws, and. And it's really not. The gospel is much bigger uh, than the laws. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord of everything, including you. There's a whole, and I'd love to get more into that. But, but the danger with I think with the, even the, the left behind approach to uh, theology is we we framed a gospel around meeting my needs for eternal security rather than getting to know Jesus. And his character, and so it was a gospel based out of fear uh, that said, uh, "Do you know where you're going when you die?" In fact, in my Bible, I've got a track from someone that says, "There's no fire escape in hell," uh, and, and that's what they'd give to people. Um, chip publications. Oh, Have chip we not pub- all seen chip publications? Were, yeah, there's yeah, another one. There are little comics that uh, scared the hell out of people, literally, and 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 so. So fear became the motivation for establishing a relationship with Jesus, which my guess is, as I, as I read Jesus uh, and as I've related to him personally and taken the journey, I don't think he'd be wanting people to come to him out of fear. I don't think that's the, that's not the God I believe in, but it, it is, uh, and it's not the God represented through Jesus on the pages of the Gospels, but we but we found that fear was a good motivator to help people cross a line, uh, but that that same Gospel is why has led to uh, what almost all pastors I talk about today talk to today in all different contexts saying we've got a discipleship crisis now because people aren't we we weren't so focused on following Jesus we we're focused on getting people keep people's bums on seats on a Sunday morning. And, and we actually had a whole philosophy called church growth. Uh, and we tried to actually grow the church by 
because we found this stuff could work on mass, uh, and we and we weren't actually helping people uh, know what it means to love Jesus and follow Jesus uh, and be disciples and apprentices. Sorry, the, the flip side of that was also start by getting to pray the sinner's prayer, and that drags them into heaven, and then you do the discipleship. That was the theory. So there yeah. there was a genuine love for for souls in the middle of that. Says mm -hmm. me being. But, but you know there was more to it than just oh as long as i'm saved i'm fine you know because i live through that stuff yeah yeah yes. i think if i could just move on a little bit but i thought i agree um i think one of the things you brought out yesterday and oh, at the sermon on sunday um was was really important and that is that when jesus jesus said to his disciples it's not always going to be easy in fact, if you're going to if you're going to take the way of love, as I'm telling you, the way of love is, then you're going to have it's going to be hard work. It's you're going to be taking up your cross, just like I'm taking up my cross, and um, and so I think you brought, you brought that out really well, Matt, and about how you know you can think of like times of hardship. And when people don't agree with you and, and that re reflects in hate and, and violence against the way you believe, um, that that is something for the future where, in fact, we need to be prepared that in the in the moment of living the love of, of Jesus, it won't, there will be resistance sometimes. It, it won't always be plain sailing and, and, and when we were in the teaching team on Thursday, Dan, you talked about how that that can be scary, you know, that mm -hmm. that idea of um, having to be prepared for for persecution. Well, the passage, and, and yeah, is, let, let me read a couple of the verses, and then you can keep going. In then it says in verse nine, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at the time, many will turn away from their faith. And betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And he said, you know, be, stand firm. Many won't, but stand firm and be resolute. And I think that doesn't mean being fearful. It just means. Um, and I, I think we talked a bit about this verse, and I can't remember where it is, and I can't remember the wording exactly. But you know, when suffering brings. A, Suffering brings strength. Strength gives us hope, and hope shows. No, I'll come back to that. Suffering brings strength. Strength gives us heart. Heart shows the hope we had at the start, which is not quite the right wording, but it is from a, a song that's based on those verses, and um, and that to me is what stand firm is all about. Um, you know. Yeah, that's actually a theme. In the New Testament, it's mentioned a couple of times that mm. in Peter and uh, and also in Romans five, we rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings mm. produce perseverance, perseverance character, yeah, that's character, right. character that's hope. Uh, <laughs> Romans five, uh, and this is I, one of the things. I don't know if people got what I was saying, but many people read this as these verses as referring to a future that isn't here yet. Uh, that there's going to be what they call a tribulation in where things the people are going to be handed over and persecuted, uh, where uh, there's going to be false prophets 
Uh, people will be betray will betray you and hand each other over to death. Uh, all, all this stuff is about a tribulation in the future. But the two things, Jesus bookends this discussion with a where he says in Matthew 24, these are just the beginning of birth pains. And at the end of this, we'll get to it next week, he says, this generation will not pass away before this stuff happens. Uh, I, As I read it, uh, this is all stuff that uh, is actually normative for Christians right the way through the Christian church. There have, like I said, there's never been a time where some wing of the church somewhere isn't being persecuted. Mm -hmm. One of the things I did say is I think sometimes Christians are persecuted uh, because of the way we uh, act towards people in a way that doesn't represent Jesus well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And claiming that's persecution because of faith is a crock. That's mm -hmm. not persecution mm -hmm. because of dysfunction. And, and so if the Westboro Baptist Church people uh, uh, claim they're being persecuted for their faith and following Jesus, I think that I, I don't have words to describe how I feel about that, but I, 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 it's not good. Like I think they, they're seriously not representing Jesus well and they, they should get a kick up the backside because they're, they're not acting in a way that's loving. Um, Anyway, my danger is I'll now act in a way that's not loving towards where them. The, where do the three and a half years uh, fit into that, Matt? Uh, well, see, even the idea of three and a half years uh, uh, depends how you read it. Some people have asked whether we get into Revelation or not. Um, I don't know if I'm going to head down that path yet. But, but when it comes to numbers in the Bible uh, and timing of things and... Uh, certainly Jewish literature is different to Western literature. Uh, and, uh, and many of us have assumed a tribulation coming where Jesus is going to return but not quite defeat the devil and somewhere Satan is still going to have a day where he's going to do stuff. And So there's a whole reading of stuff that says that. My first problem with that is that it says that Jesus is a, is a wimp uh, and can't quite beat. Satan, which is obviously, you read the rest of the Bible, that's a crock. Uh, but also, um, as you read these verses here in terms of a tribulation, I don't know, uh, I, I, as I read the context, each one of these things are things that in the rest of the New Testament, there is evidence that this is normative. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. the idea that we'll, be, that we'll be persecuted, well, that's actually said numerous times and Paul says that and Peter says that and that's and throughout the history of the church the idea that there'll be false prophets well I, I mentioned in passing but in Acts Paul says to the Ephesians you know I know as soon as I go false prophets are going to get into you guys in the Ephesians you know this is going to be a, this is not new and and I I said in passing again a lot of the false prophets emerged around the time of the election uh, of the American elections and a lot of I, I, I think, and a lot of them were proven to be false because what they said didn't happen. Um, I, I think there's a, a, a large part, I hope people don't get offended at this, but I, I think there, uh, some of the foundation of the American myth is based in wrong eschatology, which says that 
nations can be Christians and that somehow America is now God's chosen people, just like the British Israelites thought that Britain was. It's amazing how quickly nationalism and Christianity can get fused together, and that's toxic whenever it happens. So that's a whole other rant that I won't go down. But but <laughs> but each one of these things, I, I've got. I can point you to different parts in the New Testament uh, where it's clear, like as we said, like people. Uh, falling away because of persecution. Jesus says in the uh, parable of the sower that that's going to be normal, that people have an emotional response to the gospel, but don't let it go down deep in, and have have roots in your heart. And that'll, you as soon as tough times come, and he actually uses the word persecution, uh, then then you'll fall away. So I don't, I, I actually think, and I, I think it's backed up by the context uh, and, and the rest of the Bible, that this isn't talking about, a, these verses that we're talking about today aren't talking about a tribulation in future. They're just saying life is going to be difficult if you are going to re represent my name, my justice, mercy and compassion, this side of eternity. There is a world that Jesus says is controlled by the prince of the powers of the air, by Satan, that will be anti-Christ. And funnily, you know, a lot of people get caught up in the anti-Christ. Well, actually, the Bible teaches that many anti-Christs have already come. Like that, the people who are whose position is against Christ, is against his nature, are taking a position of anti-Christ. And, and a lot of people, a lot of language about anti-Christ uh, gets focused. But I, I think it's, I, and we get scared and worried about, projectile vomit and all kinds of weird stuff. But I don't, I don't think we need to worry about that stuff. As Christians, our task is to worry about Jesus and representing him well. And his promise is he'll be with us. There'll be, there'll be, there'll be tough times, but it, 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 he'll be mm. with us. Yeah. Well, one thought just for, just for balance again, because I'm old enough to have lived through it. We all saw the, the tribulation as a blessing. Because it was, as, as Christians who hoped we were going to heaven, we saw it as a second chance for those that were not found to have faith to still scrape their burning backsides into heaven. They just had to get through that much at a time. And we, never, and we never understood Jesus binding the devil for a time as him being a wimp. It was, again, his choice to postpone and give, and give that extra time for, for those who thought they were Christians and weren't to still show prove their faith uh, unto death, so mm. just just that, that little bit of historical perspective. That was, and I'm talking wide. I, I was in several different churches at that time, mm. or over that time. So that was that yeah. was a very widespread understanding, both the the post trip and the pre trips. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now we, we probably don't have time to get into that more. I appreciate you coming there, Chris. It's, it's an interesting one. And I'm hoping that we tackle that a little bit more over the next few weeks. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd love to just say, Dan, your, your mic's playing up a bit, I think. Like, or, or, yeah, okay. Funny. Uh, yeah. So it's... Well, just, just to finish off, if this works, what's the one thing you want people to take away with them? Uh, what's the one thing I want people to take away from with them? Mm. Um, um, really, I, I come back to where Anne started. Like, uh, as we talk about the end times, 
I the people I'm most worried about are people who really love talking about the end times, um, like, and people who get distracted by what's going to happen, uh, because the the focus of, like, one John two tells us. The people who are going to be the false prophets are the people who say all kinds of stuff but don't focus on Jesus. Um, that that it, Jesus, that, that the task for Christians is, as in the context of the whole Bible, is to represent the nature of who God is, his justice, his mercy, and his compassion uh, to the world. And we do that because we have our, uh, I love Hebrews 12, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Who's, who is running the race ahead of us, marking out the, 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 the path for us to, to run, with our eyes fixed on him, then you can kind of trust it's going to be okay. And I don't have all the answers. I don't have, I don't have the answers of, you know, what happens if people don't, you know, believe the right things or if, you know, but I, but, but ultimately what, the Bible teaches is we can uh, that God is most clearly revealed in Jesus, and He's revealed as somebody who is a person of incredible love, but also justice, and that that He will respect the will of every person. He doesn't force anybody into anything, uh, and and so ultimately it comes down to. And we're gonna we're gonna get more into some of these more thorny questions. Um, as we as we go, um, and I, I, I'm not sure. I think we may need to deal with the rapture as I look at Matt, what's coming in Matthew 24 and, and what the text says and doesn't say. And um, but but ultimately, it really is about what does it mean to keep your eyes on Jesus and do your best to follow Him uh, and and to live from His justice, His mercy, and His compassion in the world. Uh, I don't know, Anne and Chris, because um, do you have, have you got it for you guys? Have you got any takeaways? Yeah. Oh, okay then. Well, I guess you you started off by talking about the temple and the change of um, and Jesus, if you like, becoming you know. Mm -hmm representing the glory of God and the interface between heaven and earth. I really liked that. And I think we we shouldn't lose sight of that. Well, that's, that's about relationship. That's about God wanting to dwell with those he made. And, um, and so I want to finish with the last words that Matthew has Jesus saying in that, in <clears throat> that book, which is, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been present tense given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and teach them to obey everything i have commanded you in other words follow my way my truth and my life and surely i am with you always hmm to the very end of the age. And I think that's what we take. When he says stand firm, we don't do it on our own. We do it in his strength and we do it with him. And he is there with us always. Yeah. He yeah. is the interface. He is dwelling with us. And I think that's wonderful through the, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Yeah.
Chris, did you have any final thoughts? I yeah, I think um, I mean we remember that um, perfect love casts out all fear, and um, a lot of things that you're attempting to address are based on fear. And I would, quite apart from my theological position today, I'd I'd say most of those fears were not helpful and were not on a good foundation. And so mm. anything that removes fear from people has to put them in a better space. So if yeah. you do no more than that, you, you'll have done well. Um, mm. For the rest of it, it's one of those never-ending stories, isn't it? 